1: welcome to this new episode
0: uh 112 112 yes it'll be 112 I it's some quasi charcuterie board like yeah. in my dining room
1: yeah we we're just you know fresh of recording another episode
0: do you feel like you have more energy now or no now
1: um i'm all right so kind of still sleepy like that all doesn't, right that hasn't gone away
0: what are you uh, I feel a little bit more energized. Yeah, that, and that's, you know,
1: that will happen to me too. I just process things a little slower. Yeah. So hopefully that...
0: No gluten, so you're going to be good. Yeah, I'm going to be fine. All be right. Fine. So today we're doing one that we've had in our ideas thing for a long time. Yeah. Easily a couple of years. I would I say was, at least two years. Yeah.
1: Probably one of the original topics.
0: I think so too. And... I was always waiting to do it because I wanted it to be in person and we had so many others that we wanted to do and I didn't know when the right time was and now, why Why not? Let's do it. (laughs) Why not? Why not? Let's do
1: it. And it's, you know, I think that there was also the issue that the, the difficulty of it and not in the sense that it's complicated, but not just that, but also... It's one of those topics in philosophy that is kind of uh, it has become. Uh, how can we say complicated to talk about this?
0: Yeah. So it it there's the the buzzword. So it, first of all, it's hard. Period. Yes. yes. For a couple of reasons, it also has a buzzwordiness, yep. and talking about anything that does that is, you know, kind of annoying because you want to avoid yep. all that stuff. Um, but also it's just like I wanted to wait for the right time to do it And I don't, in line with what it is, maybe there's never a right time exactly. <laughs> I don't
1: think we have found it we, we, This is why we kicked kicking down the road so much Because yeah. we we're like, no, 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 no
0: And this would I don't think it's the right time either but Yeah We just got to do it But uh, such is the human condition Yes, yes So we're going to talk about this thing today Which maybe isn't even a thing, with a capital T Called postmodernism.
1: Yeah, as a, I'm assuming, we're going to be talking about there's a branch of philosophy, and that we're going to go into whatever this thing means and mm. what has it become maybe right. Uh, so, what um, I'm going to start with you. Okay. <laughs> uh, what do you think about it when you think about it, when you hear that word?
0: So, I think the first thing I think about is that it's so it's an ism. And isms are tough because sometimes isms are like little snapshots like dualism, the belief that blank, or determinism, the belief that blank. But then you have other isms that are harder like existentialism or (laughs) let's say German idealism. And these isms are less decontextualized, easy to simplify snapshots, and they're more like historical I I don't like using this word but I have to use it movements Mm -hmm. so when we did existentialism one of the things we said was that it's not like there was a guy except maybe Sartre saying I am doing existentialism there is this thing it was more so this term that was applied anachronistically to a group of people who for the most part, I can't say 100%, but for the most part weren't in correspondence with one another, largely because they existed at different time periods, Um, but just had some kind of similarity in what they do or how they do it, right? So there's existentialisms, there's German idealisms, and there's postmodernisms. And I suspect what we're going to do today is kind of like go through some ideas that we maybe think are associated with it, maybe don't think that's associated with it, think about the consequences of this, how it gets used, yada, yada, yada. So I think it has that historical looseism thing about it, which makes it difficult. Um, and I also start with the word itself, right? Yeah. So whenever you have post... You guys should know this means it's it's coming after something. Yep. So I just said in the the last series, right? Post hoc, this logical fallacy for like after something, therefore, you know, the result of whatever. Another example would be um post rock is this genre that's different or post hardcore. Post punk, whatever. Post punk. So postmodernism is after modernity, modernity, I yep. should say. So I think we should probably k- try to capture a little bit about what that thing is. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Definitely.
1: Um, and I guess I think you said that right. Like it's a it's an historical movement, if you want, an intellectual movement. It's just funny because it starts, and and this is already controversial, it starts as another post. Mm. And then it becomes postmodernism.
0: And are you going to say it starts with post-structuralism? Yes. Okay. Okay.
1: That's definitely it, right? This idea of post-structuralism is the... It's what it will become eventually, postmodernism in general. And I don't know where you want to start with this, uh, but I guess we can talk about modernism, modernity in general, right? So there is this idea... um, NS3 that there's this period of time uh, in intellectual history it's called modernity, right? This starts roughly with uh, the industrial and scientific revolution in the 1600s, late 1600s, and ends probably
0: sometimes around the 20th century. Yeah. Let's say like late 19th, <laughs> early 20th, I guess, right?
1: Yeah. I- theoretically again and this is again we're just using placeholders and and approximations it probably ends with the holocaust it probably ends with oh interesting with uh, with the with this thing this unthinkable thing that 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 we that we do
0: so it ends with the authoritarian movements of the 20th century
1: probably That, that at least this will be something that somebody like adorno uh, or or Orkheim or Percuse would say, right? Um, but that is like almost a political end of modernity. Mm. But when we talk about the critiques uh, to it, I think that we probably start seeing that a little earlier. And... Uh, Nietzsche is already critical of that.
0: I usually think of Nietzsche as being the kind of the first. grandfather.
1: Yes, yes. It's like it's like Kierkegaard to, to existentialism. Nietzsche is probably to postmodernism or mm. poststructuralism. I would mm-hmm, say it's mm-hmm. almost the same relationship. But then again, this is my idea. This is my, my my view. I'm not alone. I'm not in line with this, but I think these are the two... Mandates, the critics start with Nietzsche, but that kind of Nietzsche's proven right quote unquote according to Adorno and some others mm. by this
0: mess and so happens. when you think of modernity um, what are the couple things we think of? We said the scientific revolution, <laughs> so we think of um, formalized empirical methods of study, right
1: yeah. science becomes the 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 major uh, what can we call lens through which we look at the world. It's 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 the alignment, right? It's Illuminism. It's, yeah. It's kind, right. It's like we get out yep. of this the state of minority, how does it call it? How does it call
0: it kant The state of Oh uh are you thinking dogmatic slumber?
1: No, no, I'm thinking of you know the definition of when in, in what is alignment. like? It's the, oh, uh, man! Oh,
0: man's emergence from his self incurred immaturity. Yes, that's it. That's okay. the one. I pulled that out of. That's the one, right? That is
1: the essence. Yep. Oh, modernity, of and so it's
0: like. coming after because people are going to be like, oh, so it's just like. Because people don't realize that the things you have now and the things you think now weren't always there. Exactly. So this is coming after this time when it things were very much based on like religious dogma. Yep. Right. Where what is the truth? Oh, it's it's the text or yep. it's the authority on the text saying this thing. Yep. And we learn things in a different way, and we value different things, and we incriminate different kinds of people, and then now here's this movement of like, you know what? We're going to be rational, in a loose sense, not the proper sense. Although that is associated with it too. Um, We're going to be scientific. We're going to be objective. Yep. We're not going to have dogmas, quote unquote, or at least not the religious dogmas. And we're gonna we're gonna lighten things up. Like the the idea is dismantle.
1: Literally, I think Kant says this in in what is the enlightenment. What is enlightenment? We need to dismantle all superstition. That's the idea. We're gonna get rid of that. And dismantling superstition means sticking to the facts, observable stuff. Mm. Kind of stuff that we can see again. The scientific method like literally invented that, explain uh in them in that moment. And that has repercussions on all levels, right? It does. Political, uh and mentality, sociologically, oh. uh psychologically, right? There is this whole idea we kind of create and I'm using this word now for a reason: an image of ourselves, mm, right? The new God that that is there's some specific characteristics. As you said, people don't realize that it wasn't always like this, right? Then this becomes the gold standard, the things that we're talking about, and this idea of rationality, quote unquote, and objectivity, especially they become especially important as the thing that unifies us, right? There are specific ways in which things are. There's a truth that we can follow, and this is the truth, and mm-hmm. that's it. And if we don't follow that, then we're being superstitious.
0: Yeah, and it's if we don't, we're just going to be clubbing each other over the heads. Exactly right. But like the goal is also peace, right? Yeah. Like the the liberalized autonomous man, you know. Yeah. Because Kant also talks about these characteristics of um, like courage. And what's the other one he says, uh, being independent and strong, right? Because he says people are immature for a couple of reasons. Um, immature meaning a couple things. Um, for starters, he says we, we rely on other people for our knowledge. Yep. Right. Like going to the doctor. I know he uses that example. Well, what's the truth? Well, let, let this expert tell me. Yep. Right. Let this person who is kind of a God tell me this thing. And whatever the doctor says, that's what I do. Whatever the, the church says, that's what I do. Um, and not only do you listen to them, but it's like they think for you. Yeah. And so in other words, you, you have less of a self. You're almost like a shell of a person. Yeah. And you do this for a couple of the reasons. One of them he says is because simply you're lazy because it's much easier to rely on someone else because you don't have to do anything, right? It's it's, I just lay back and let stuff happen. The guy says, okay, I do it. And then also because we're cowardly, he says. Mm -hmm. We're afraid to use our own reason because, oh my God, am I going to be successful? Am I going to be competent? And am I going to fail? Do Mm -hmm. I have the ability? So you have to do something. And so the enlightenment is very much like logic, science, independence autonomy self
1: things that are not the right word verifiable right things that every knowledge that everyone can access you don't need to be to be the high priest to know the truth exactly you can access this through whatever decentralized
0: exactly and that makes everyone equal exactly
1: and free exactly and this eventually leads to the french revolution in a sense right because that also transforms into And some might argue the American Revolution as well, right? Mm. This translates into: if we're all equal and free, why is this king?
0: Yes, yes,
1: that has special powers because God gave it to them.
0: And this is like Locke, who becomes Thomas Jefferson, who becomes us.
1: Exactly, exactly. So that's that's the idea, right? It's the same line of thought there. Um, And this goes undisturbed, we can say, until. as you said, until the end of the 19th century, the beginning of the 20th century, when we start having people kind of doubting this idea, right? By saying that, well, it's not as peachy as it looks like. Hmm. Um, to the point that we get into soft movement that would say like, listen, um, there are some things that we're saying is they look in a way, but they're in another way. And there is, in order to truly understand what's going on here, which is partially even Marx, right? We need to look beyond, which is the oldest movement philosophy, we need to look beyond what's the surface, what's visible, and we need to go and look at the real structure that's underneath everything. It's a return to Plato. Right. So we need to kind of dismantle those differences and look at this structure and here comes structuralism, right? There's a structure Mm. underneath everything that needs to be uncovered. And that's like simplified to the max. But, um, because all those differences that we see are not really there. What's important is the same, which is the structure, this narrative that's underneath this main narrative, you know, and you'll see somebody like Levi Strauss or, or, um, someone else that, identify some specific elements of the structure, whatever it is. And we're still within modernity there, though, right? Mm-hmm. Um, which structure is part of it. And then there's a group of thinkers that come in and say, well, even this structure that you're talking about is made up. It's not mm-hmm. just the surface stuff. They're all different, but in reality, they can be kind of reconnected to this one thing. Even the structure that you claim to be objective and the thing, even that is a narrative, and therefore it can be studied and analyzed as a construct as well. And that's when we start reasoning in terms of past post structuralism, which eventually becomes postmodernism, because eventually if we start doubting those those objective stuff and we say they're all our narratives mm-hmm. and the narratives can be analyzed and and their color depending for example on the historical period when they were um invented quote-unquote then all of a sudden one of the main uh, pillars of modernity disappears which is this idea of objectivity that you mentioned at the beginning right mm. and that's when we start realizing and that's when we start seeing how um uh, which, again, I don't think is very different than some stuff that happened before. But I guess we'll talk about it in a minute. we start seeing this this doubting of all the stuff that for some people translate into pure relativism, which I don't think is the goal of postmodernism, actually. Well, some other people will use it as skepticism. Mm-hmm. Some other people use it to historicize everything. Mm. Everything becomes historical rather than natural. And depending on who you ask again, different things happen there does it does it make sense
0: yeah, so it's almost like there's this structure, but like hey, that structure is itself couched within an underlying structure that you're not aware of um, which is why you have this this saying like oh, it's you're skeptical towards meta narratives or you're incredulous towards meta narratives, so it's like hey, hey, all these things you guys are saying. They're not as liberated and corresponding, independent, corresponding to actuality as you think. There's like a meta narrative happening. So you're still like existing within this structure. And we want to kind of make sure we're aware of that. In other words, you're like, you're not a merely passive observer sponging reality as it actually yes. is, right? And it's an active element. It's an active element, and this is why Kant I think is actually a dividing figure in this. Because on the one hand, Kant is Mister Enlightenment, but on the other hand, he's the one that that kind of starts that in a way, where he's like, No, 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 you're you're right. You're not a passive observer. You're actually active. So I think Kant kind of has this weird crossroads in him, yeah. Where it's almost like by being hyper logical. You get away from this kind of scientific realism that is associated with uh, modernity. And that kind of weirdly paves the 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 way for for postmodernity. So you might even say some might say postmodernism is anti rationality, some might say it's hyper rationality, right? Depending on how you look at it. And there's critiques all over the place, right? So you have the critique of the metaphysical narrative. And the or slash the ontological narrative, the epistemic narrative, certainly the the political narrative, and so it's just everything is being questioned. I th- I think the word you used, doubt, was a good one, because philosophy, in some sense, starts in doubt, right? Curiosity, wonder, yeah. wonder. Aristotle and Socrates kind of put together, um, and you look for a way out of that, right? You try to get out of the cave and see things. And I think if there's one thing that characterizes post-modernity, and I wonder if this is where we'll start to get into more mm-hmm. specific stuff. And I don't know if it's going to be disagreement or not, but there's almost like a, a hyper emphasis on the doubt. Yeah. Like even like the Greeks doubted, but they're like, no, 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 no. You didn't doubt enough <laughs> because you guys still believe that you're seeking this thing. And we're not sure that there is that thing or that we'd even be able to do that if there was that thing. Mm-hmm. And so there's almost this like, and I don't know if you're going to agree with this, this agnosticism with regard to knowledge. I, uh, And I say agnosticism rather than something else yeah. that sounds stronger. Uh,
1: yes and no, I I would say.
0: Okay, that's um, good.
1: So let's start with what you said at the beginning. I remember before I said, <clears throat> in reality, this thing that you're doing is not new. I was thinking exactly about Kant.
0: Oh, perfect. Okay,
1: I was thinking about him because he's the one that tells us. Yep. Already, like, hey, not only you're the active, you're active there, but all these things they make sense only from. A specific perspective, mm-hmm. and all these people are doing is saying, but within this specific perspective, there are other smaller perspectives that are in there too. Mm-hmm. They're are kind of influential in building those bigger narratives. Regarding the 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 thing that you just said, the, the doubting uh, again, what they're doing is nothing new. And the other thing that I was thinking about is the Greeks. In fact, if you go and, and read. And, you know, we can start naming some of this mm-hmm. or the, the postmodernists. And I, I don't know about you, but I think of two people mainly when it comes to this. It's just okay. Derrida and Foucault. These are the two. Sure. And Deleuze. Yeah, yeah, sure. These are the three that probably are the... Because the, you, you, you have people like Lyotard, right? François Lyotard, even Roland Barthes, These people are postmodernists, but they don't have the same weight than those three, have, at least in philosophy. But if you look at these three, all three of them, at a certain point, they end up studying the Greeks again. Foucault clearly goes back. Uh, Ultimately, that's where he lands. Derrida does kind of something similar. Deleuze is the one that goes back to Spinoza and then goes back to the Stoics too. So at the end of the day, they all land there because the mindset is very similar. Mm -hmm. As you said, maybe it's just a little bit more It's a little bit less naive, so it seems more, how can we call it, uh, radical. But considering where the Greeks were with what they knew and everything, that was pretty radical for their times, right? Mm -hmm. Now these people are the new Greeks, if you want, for certain perspective when it comes to this kind of stuff.
0: Hmm. Yeah, it's an interesting way of looking at it. Um, So you have Kant who we both kind of seen as like weirdly yep. the, the dawn of Absolutely. this thing <clears throat> by saying, and we actually mentioned this in the last episode, uh, stop just thinking you're seeing stuff out there with mm-hmm. your perspective and start realizing you're coming from something. You're, yep. you're coming from the, the the sensibility he calls it, right? There's yep. these mental faculties which have certain structures that make things show up the way they do. Yeah. And so to understand anything really, we have to try and understand what those structures might be. And as a result, um, how reality and knowledge are limited by those structures yes. and not only limited, but, but shaped itself. Yes. Yes. now Kant says we, there's this thing called the thing in itself. Yep. That's not really a thing. That's, the way, that's the way he calls it. It's what he calls it, right? We can't access it. And we actually had a disagreement a little bit about this a few episodes yeah. ago about his exact stance on it. But it's 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 beyond, right? It is truly transcendent. Yes. Um, <laughs> and then you have Nietzsche, and Nietzsche writes this essay called On Truth and Lies in a Non Moral Sense. And in this the opening lines of this essay are Something to the extent of, on on a faraway star somewhere in an <laughs> infinite galaxy, on some rock.
1: Star Wars. Star
0: Wars. <laughs> 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 Does the credit start? Um, there were these little mushy things that invented something called knowledge, and um, they were really prideful of this invention and they thought it was everything but how foolish they are because when they're all dead and when the earth disappears and when the universe goes on how it was going on nothing will have happened (laughs) and like none of it will have mattered and that's like the opening lines of this text so he says that and you're like what the hell are you talking about
1: (laughs) But that's what he's saying, right? He's kind of going in the same direction as what the people are saying. Um, Which I think is an interesting take, which I think leads to one of of the many misconceptions that we have about this, about this postmodernism, which is the misconception that because there's no such thing as as knowledge, right? Because it's not natural, if you want, it's not rooted in nature, uh, or because it is a narrative,
0: then everything is relative, then nothing matters. So you led to the winding up in nihilism. Exactly. I don't think that that is the case. Well, Nietzsche certainly wasn't a nihilist.
1: And I don't think that the postmodernists are. In general, I also don't think they are as relativistic as people claim them to be. But I guess that's maybe for something a little bit for later. Yeah, uh, sure. Yes. That's, that's where we're at with this, right? And what this does isn't... that
0: mean? I'm curious. Like, what do what do you think of when, when Nietzsche says, ah, oh, we invented knowledge.
1: I think that he believes like in true Kantian fashion, the knowledge is, it's a human creation mm-hmm. that follows specific rules that are dictated by our Setup, but the truly, it's not a thing, right? It is just a methodology, a way in which we interpret the world, but it's not the world itself. And <clears throat> yeah, it doesn't, and this is a strong way of saying it, but it truly doesn't exist.
0: I get why you would say that, you know what I mean? It's, uh, I think, with a lot of this stuff. The language is tough, so you wind up sounding like you're saying one thing, but you yes. might not be saying what someone thinks you're saying. And it's, it's actually precisely for this reason that I am <coughs> that I approach with caution whether I teach this text, because I've taught it before, and I actually stopped teaching it, because I think unless you're hyper-attuned to Nietzsche's mindset, it actually could be kinda of dangerous. Yeah. Right? Like if you're not paying attention and if left to the wrong hands, and that doesn't mean you shouldn't study it. it, just means you should maybe be a little more advanced before you look into it. Yep. But so Nietzsche thinks, okay, knowledge. We have this thing in philosophy that we've established for the most part is justified true belief. Yep. Beliefs, sure. They only exist within minds. Okay. Without humans belief wouldn't exist. Justification? Reasons for things? That one's a little bit more difficult, but sure it's still a mental activity ultimately truth that's the difficult one yeah. because ultimately Nietzsche is skeptical towards this thing called truth maybe not in the way we think it cuz there's the immediate like 14-year-old reaction to be like ah, ah that's what this means right there's no truth there's right right and so what Nietzsche means is like okay if you if you if you look at what the philosophers have said about truth What they mean is like the human is thinking and or stating something about something, some occurrence in the world correctly, loosely, right? That's fine. Absolutely. And so you have this thing that's not you, call it the world, and then you have you and you have some stance towards that thing out there, some relation. You make statements about it. And we say that when this relationship is one of correspondence, or when your thoughts and claims match up with or accurately depict that thing, we say that is that is truth, yeah right. so it's yep. a relationship between the mind slash language and reality, yeah, right, so far, so good. but what he says is, since we're not passive observers, like Kant correctly pointed out. Nothing you think or say can ever accurately depict how that world actually is in itself beyond you.
1: There's always a there's always a gap, right? Always, so, which is even in physics, you know, Heisenberg's principle, right? Every time you observe something, the observation modifies what something, is, what that something is. Right?
0: And this this is still just Kant two for me, yep, right? Yep, it is. He says there's a thing, and then you have the sensation of the thing yep and the sensation of the thing he calls it a metaphor (coughs) yeah right because a metaphor is not literally something but it's a like a a different way of representing something yeah for example i I was going to say something about the that was going to be very almost as nonsensical as my sewing cartoon (laughs) sweaters example uh this test was a breeze yeah right like okay the test wasn't literally a breeze yep. you're just trying to express it in a different way so he says the translation from thing to stimulus is a metaphor and then the stimulus is yeah. is like instantly converted into a fully formed perception that you're aware of mm-hmm. which is another step removed so another metaphor yep and then you can then think about this thing as a concept which is another metaphor and then you can linguize it so at the end of the day when you're speaking
1: it's a metaphor, a metaphor a of a metaphor of a metaphor of right? a
0: metaphor right and so he's like okay you're not getting it there is no correspondence right It doesn't there make is any no sense there's no
1: original that's nietzsche right
0: yeah the ori- if there's an original it's not me yeah right i can't access it and yeah, that I, that's not wrong on yeah. the most literal level absolutely
1: and this is and just because of what you're saying right that it's to you that's kind that's Kant 2.0, and it's Nietzsche. I sometimes struggle understanding the sensationalism that comes with this idea of postmodernism, and this idea that they're doing something that nobody has ever done, and they change completely mm. the way we think and the way we. And there, some people would say they ruined everything, and some people would say that they saved us from from dogmatic slumber and stuff like that. I don't see this I just don't. Mm. I just I just think that they are in line with a specific <coughs> tradition and they're just saying things in a different way.
0: I think it's I think it's partially because there have been some instances where maybe they put their foot in their mouth and used a buzzword or something. Sure. Or because the people who studied under the postmodernists yes kind of had political activist goals and took it in a direction for their own self-interest and taught it in a specific way that was maybe not exactly the way that these guys would have thought about it.
1: And I think that to add to this, which I think it's all correct, there's also another level, which is they are the way they write, same with Nietzsche. It allows people to kind of Cut out a buzz phrase uh, and make it into something that is not right. How many things from nature they have become like will to power, right? Yeah. Like, There's millions of them. Like even even in uh, you know Uberbench, oh, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. Right? Yeah, yeah, like yeah. all the stuff <coughs> that then you go and look, and this is again even this is not unique, right? This happens. Mm. Like, over i over think again.
0: i think there are probably a couple things that i don't think is just like a telephone game that got screwed okay. up but we can get to that later i'm sorry yeah.
1: what no, you no, gonna... no 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 oh. That's fine uh there and there might be and there might be some things that maybe uh I'd, just to clarify why am i talking about this this way so i my phd my dissertation was on one of those uh those, uh postmodernists so i studied them pretty well um and I end up, always end up being the one defending those people. Right, right, right. Uh, in general conversations, sometimes we have had colleagues in the past that hate uh, postmodernism like they think it's literally the devil. Uh, and uh, literally, literally. Um, and I disagree with that. And I think that that is not fair to them. Are there certain things? I always, and the the philosopher that I studied was Michel Foucault, right? <clears throat> Difficult Foucault say and did everything right? Of course not. He has this this set of articles that he wrote and they're published, uh, which are called Persian notebooks, where he praises the Iranian revolution. He's convinced that the fact that the Shah leaves and now there's the the, the theocracy coming in, that's a good thing. Oh, guess what? He was wrong. And to be honest, he admitted that it was wrong towards the end of his life um there are other things that he did and said wrong like some a lot of his proposals and methodologies end up not getting him the results that he wanted to mm. this is why sometimes he keeps on changing if you if you're f- vaguely familiar with him you know that he has this archaeological method that he uses first and then is the genealogical method that he uses and then there's another method. There's like he keeps on changing stuff because a lot of his thing that he's doing, they don't land where he thinks they would land. Just to say that he's not always right. I don't. I don't think that it is annoying to read. It is difficult. It's obscure sometimes. So all this to say that my defense is not a defense in principle, mm. but rather is... The defense of stuff that I think we had gotten wrong because of the people studying this, and other people, this, 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 intellectuals, rather than
0: yeah, anything else. So, what happens yeah. after Nietzsche? What do you think is like the immediate, uh, big hitting next step where these ideas get carried forth?
1: Right after Nietzsche, so Nietzsche dies in nineteen hundred. Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, well. The genealogy was like late 1880s, I think, something like that.
1: 1888, something like that. I'm trying to think.
0: Oh, and by the way, while you're thinking, I should just outline to people, that's another skeptical thing he did, right? So the essay we talked about previously on truth and lies in a non-moral sense was his metaphysics and epistemological (laughs) critique. And then the genealogy is his critique of ethics. Yeah. And how it's been thought and understood. Yeah. And genealogical method, right? He goes back and studies how these things developed over time. Yep. And goes to show that they're they're not static universal categories. Um and then I'm just saying this to let you know that he 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 had this critique in multiple different branches of philosophy and that yeah. that carries it after him.
1: And this genealogical method that gets, you know, reprised kind of by Foucault. I mean, he's He steals from Nietzsche, left and right, citing him, but, you know, he he just the geological method is the Nietzschean method. He Mm -hmm, admits mm -hmm. it, that's what he says. But um, I think it's funny when you say, like, where, what's after it? Because, as we know, right after it, the philosophical movement that eventually becomes preeminent I want to say, in a sense, it is existentialism. Mm -hmm. Which I think is in stark contrast with... Postmodernism. I don't think it's part of
0: it. Which is weird because Sartre kind of like tries to tie the two together.
1: But Foucault is like, uh uh-uh. uh. Foucault is like, no. The, and the whole idea where they split mm-hmm. is this idea of humanism.
0: Right. Cause so Sartre has this ex- essay for you guys listening called Existentialism is a Humanism.
1: And Foucault thinks that humanism is another narrative. It's another way in which we steer things in a specific way. we shouldn't, mm. and so he's he's against this idea, therefore he becomes against existentialism, sort of
0: yeah let's think about this because so you have Nietzsche right, and then you have as we move from <sighs> post structuralism into phenomenology and existentialism, right, all these kind of like semi related things. In maybe maybe phenomenology is the next thing. That you think in that so? Because phenomenology to me is also Kant 2.0, right? Where we study the structures of consciousness. But I think where the phenomenologist and the the so-called postmodernists disagree is that the phenomenologists, um, I would say, ultimately believe in universal essences, idetic essences. Husserl certainly does. I would argue Heidegger does, people would stab me for that. Um whereas they would say we're pushing back against that because the phenomenologists are ultimately like still uh logocentric and, and using reason. But there is a relation and it's the yeah. relation of uh perspective. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: This is what I'm saying. I think that those Nietzsche phenomenology, then there's this weird push against, which is existentialism.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And that leads eventually right. into World War Two. And Mm -hmm. after that, we have the. the, We start seeing the true, like, rise of the Foucault, the Derrida, the Deleuze.
0: It's interesting. Yeah. Um, I'm curious, like, if we could trace things. Because so in in existentialism as a humanism, Sartre says, okay, people think this is very depressing and, like, I'm going to kill myself and a misreading, basically, of Kierkegaard and Nietzsche and and Heidegger, right? And he's like, that's not true. It's actually really positive because at least for the atheistic ones, they say there's no God. And actually, this is good news, right? This is wonderful because if there's no God, then your existence precedes your essence and you have no predetermined meaning or purpose and you get to make it. And as a result of that um, radical freedom, the responsibility for how your life turns out is on your own shoulders. Mm-hmm. And that's his, his way of framing existentialism, and and he says like if you and if you deny that you're living in bad faith and you're just denying reality and trying to m- rationalize your inadequacies and make yourself feel better, and it's in that moment where that actually sounds a lot like the Enlightenment man, yeah, right. It's very interesting where there's this I'm trying to push away from it and yet I'm I'm coming up with a, a similar result type of thing. And this is why I'm saying that it goes against. And also politically, I so because Sartre starts doing some questionable. adjacent, uh, <laughs> dictatorial, uh, legitimizing things. Yeah, which, she, you know, this is why I don't, I can't. Yeah, well, like, so you mentioned the, the Che Guevara stuff earlier yeah. and this idea that like, well, we just, everyone has the op- everyone has the right to overturn yeah. all of Western society by yeah. means of violence. Yes. And you're like, well, yeah, he's like, you, know, you got to do it, man. It's you like, got to do it. That's like a, bad faith if you don't do exactly, it.
1: Exactly. Exactly. And this is why, this is what he loses me. And I think that partially, uh, that's the postmoderns. And again, the relationship there is Foucault, which is the oldest of the three, right? Mm.
0: Uh, when was Foucault uh, writing? Like what years? Mostly, he's born in thirty six.
1: Thirty six. That's when he's born. Okay. So in the 50s, I think 59 is when he writes his stuff about dreams. So he starts as a psychologist. Okay. okay. Uh, in 56. And then in the 60s and 70s
0: is when... He sees the light and becomes a philosopher. No, 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 no. He's, he's,
1: he's already a philosopher. Uh, but I think in the 60s and the 70s is when he's producing the books that everybody right, right, do right. know. And then he dies in 84, so it's, it's not he does relatively young
0: and what do you think for people listening what do you think and i know you're gonna say don't read it without a guide what do you think the like one or two books that kind of capture the essence of foucault would be if people want to
1: look at this uh definitely the archaeology of knowledge which is one of the most difficult things that i ever read um and then there is i always forget it's called the motion and the shows in, in French is like things and words. Okay. Uh, but in English it's called the order of things. Mm. Um, these are the two, probably the, the, the biggest one. And the second one specifically, he kind of shows you how certain disciplines kind of in tune our previous episodes come to be, mm.
0: uh,
1: specifically he does. He, he analyzes political economy, biology and uh <clears throat> and linguistics. He goes through these three things and he shows us genealogically hmm. how we are where we are. And he's criticizing the idea that again 70s, right? So we are at the we're at the point where the economy is everything, right? And this is this critical Marxism actually this Idea that the economy is the scientific thing that's describing the way the world is. He's like, No, and there's this, this is how we got there, this is how we get there, and this is what this is representing, and so mm-hmm. on. Same thing with biology that eventually will go there. And He says, Well, there wasn't always a science, this becomes a science, whatever, blah, blah blah. Uh, and it's funny because the book starts with this idea, like with this with this quote, like man is a recent invention, right? <laughs> and everybody's like, what are you talking about,
0: right? Very Nietzschean.
1: Yeah, of course. Of course. And that's, But that's the thing, right? Man is a recent invention, meaning that, and what he's saying is that even the concept of human being, the way we understand it now, is relatively recent because before, mm-hmm. we didn't picture ourselves the way we picture ourselves now. And that's all he's claiming there, right? And eventually we'll move on and there's the... Probably one of the books that is most famous for, which is discipline and punishment. Uh, discipline and punish. Um where he analyzes kind of the rise of something that's pretty interesting considering where we're living today, of the the disciplinary society, he says, but in general, of this idea that lawyers and the law, together with medicine start shaping mm-hmm. the order of the world right where <laughs> lawyers and doctors decide everything she doesn't seem that off today <laughs> uh, i gotta say right um and then the other thing which is known for is the the, the her sexuality right yeah which is probably one of the most misinterpreted Pieces of philosophy together with some pieces of Nietzsche that I know of.
0: Mm. Yeah, I heard, and I've heard you say that before. Like insanely misinterpreted, and you would say even utilized in ways that you think don't aren't actually accurate to what Foucault is saying. Absolutely, is, is it one of those issues where, like, because Foucault is one of those people where he'll write a million pages on one thing and then be like, "But that's wrong." Yes, and so is it like people citing early things without reading the him saying, but that's not right.
1: So I think partially is that. Okay. But there's also the issue that, so there's now four books of the history of sexuality, right? He was able to read and finish only the first one. The other two are just him writing stuff.
0: Mm, so it's notes.
1: It's pretty much notes. It's like the the second volume was more or less finished. Okay. The third and the fourth, the fourth just came out at like, they did something horrible in my opinion. So he said that he didn't want anything published after he was done. It was ah, done. And they just did the hairs. Yeesh. They waited an amount of time.
0: To, uh, it's like just... when they, they published a uh, Kurt Cobain's journal.
1: Yeah. It's like, what the hell are you doing, man? Yeah. Right? Um, so I think there is that there is the fact that people don't read through stuff correctly, but there is also utilizing these things that are not even finished. Which is the same thing as Nietzsche, right? Yeah. Like the will to power.
0: Is- it's just Hitler, right? Yeah, right. Yeah. It's, it's-, it's weird because I'm trying to think of what are some ideas associated with this, broadly speaking. And then, you know, eventually in the next one, we could kind of talk about how these get interpreted and different ways yeah. that they manifest. Um, I think the key so far is this hyper emphasis on skepticism. Yes. Right? And de- the radical Cartesian doubt, almost, if yes. you will. Um, Emphasis of the idea that everything is a narrative. Right. There is no <clears throat> solid ground. Yes. Right? It's like the groundless ground. Yes. Kant, and this is how they go further than Kant, right? Because Kant thinks there's a grounding for metaphysics. And they're like, no, no, there's not even a grounding. Yes. And I think that is kind of where it can become more radical and radicalized. Absolutely. Because if there's no ground metaphysically, it's almost like everything, even if not true, is fair game. Why not? Kind of thing, right? It becomes
1: a matter of, and there's another buzzword in there, matter of power and power structure.
0: And that's the key, right? If everything is mere, mere perspectives, mm-hmm. then everything is just equally justifiable just powers competing for for something arbitrarily relatively right relatively Uh, arbitrarily that's a funny that's a final word uh, because I
1: think that the the key word in what you said was "mere," mere, which Uh, is I don't think it's the case but again this idea of power structure this emphasis on power structure yeah and the possibility that and I think that's another part big big emphasis of them is this idea that certain narratives can be used to um I'm trying not to use a specific word mm-hmm. can be used to establish establish systems of power that disproportionately affect affect yeah a specific group of people.
0: Yes and so oh. this is what gets latched onto Yes, and that is the root of all problems. (laughs) Um, (coughs) Yeah, I think it's interesting because once you... One of the things that happens is if you say, here is a system, and in fact, it's a system, you just don't recognize it, right? With formal properties um, and structures that are ultimately arbitrary, Yes. then... It becomes acceptable, yes, to talk about. What if there was another system? True, which isn't bad in principle. No, and I, I was about to ask you,
1: like, can you see once again mm-hmm. the connection with Nietzsche
0: for the reevaluation of values?
1: Yeah. So there sure. is no God, right? So everything is fair game, right? So we can establish the values that we want we sure. are our own gods sure he's just going to put them in there but that doesn't have to turn into mm. something terrible right <laughs> yeah it <clears throat> yeah. doesn't have to be because then Nietzsche is very life-affirming right there are certain things that we should seek right I won't tell you what they are right but there are some values that you can reestablish that yeah. have to do with life and I have a would... question about that sure,
0: do you think when Nietzsche has that happy ending <laughs> if we may call it that is that him? Is that his philosophy coming to fruition, or is that the end of his philosophy being in conflict with the beginning of his philosophy?
1: Uh, I need more explanation on that.
0: Well, if there's this almost absolute critique, yes, of values, all yes, but you end with something, yeah. Is that not subject to the same critique? Right? Are you not starting a new window? okay so i hate that argument okay
1: i don't why do you hate it and why is it wrong well
0: i don't know whatever one you want first
1: (laughs) i hate it because i it's a different order right it's not the same explain it's like this idea that i hate the argument that says that well, everything is relative then it's also relative so, you going to say that everything is relative because otherwise you're contradicting yourself. <clears throat>
0: like the, the statement, everything is a lie. Yeah. Is that kind of thing? Okay, okay.
1: Obviously, we're different. We're talking of, of a different order of discussion, if you want, a different order of language when we're saying things like
0: that. Different categories. Yes. Okay. I
1: think that's the, that's the way out of
0: that. So, the, the quote unquote relativistic part of Nietzsche is like a meta relativism. But, it's a skepticism. But, he af- but he affirms something. It's not a, it's not a normative relativism. It's Correct. not an absolute relativism. He Correct. actually does think something. It's just like he has a lot of... There is a grounding. It's
1: Nietzsche. <laughs> it's Nietzsche. And I think that it's very similar to actually postmodernism in a certain sense. Well, I was, was going to
0: ask about that because here's, here's one thing that that Foucault gets into trouble with. One of the many, trust me. And I think this one is a safe one to talk about, because I don't think this is a controversial, defensible, sociologically controversial, in a way that other things <laughs> would be that we would yeah, not want, want to. Yeah, yeah okay. Yeah. The letter against the age of consent. Oh, yeah. Oh, there's there's like so many of this stuff. Right? So there's this kind of idea. Have you, that... have you ever
1: read the stuff on pornography? There's like I just wanted to die
0: when I. <laughs> I only know vaguely about this like, stuff, but I know I was reading about the the letters of of the of consent, uh, being against ages of consent, <laughs> and it seems like what happens from an outside perspective is you adopt this hyper pluralistic. Let's call it. Um, grounding. Yeah. And since when you do that everything is fair game, you open yourself up to like crazy things like well yeah. there should be no age of consent because you know it's all arbitrary and these are just systems of power that are oppressing me. Okay. And a lot of intellectuals sign on to this letter, right? Not just Foucault. Yeah. So like how what what is Con- that? Context, right? Okay.
1: Oh, as always context. Okay. So first of all, bad idea to sign this thing. <laughs> But again, Foucault is the one that wrote that for sure the Iranian Revolution was going to be a good thing, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And he's fallible, like a lot of other, inte- a lot of other intellectuals. Um, <coughs> Cam- well, Camus,
0: too, was on that? Yes, he was right? there, too. And Sartre?
1: And Sartre. Yeah. So exactly like all the most influential intellectual all the time. Which much.
0: are all still associated with the same kind of thing, right? That kind of yeah, postmodern slash yeah. existential thing.
1: Yeah. So why are they signing this? What is the reason? If I think, of course, I don't know why exactly. I wasn't in their head. But if I had to reason using Foucault's methodology, right? Mm -hmm. Why is the age of consent bad, quote unquote? Mm -hmm. Because if we go genealogically looking at this, what's happening there? Who's getting punished for not respecting this age of consent stuff? Definitely, that's not the noble who just created these categories definitely not the powerful who's just created these categories this thing end up punishing a specific section of the population that because they're poor because they're ignorant because they are living in a world that it's different than ours that if you want uh, it follows values that are different than ours although uh, the the rich the powerful the whatever you want to talk about it uh, we're just we're just putting in place those things to punish those
0: people, right? So it's like Thrasymachus.
1: It is Thrasymachus. It is it is Nietzsche again, right? This idea of right and wrong. The psychologists invent this, and who benefits from that? Of course, the rich is the one that assi- that associate good with what he does, mm-hmm. and bad with whatever evil with whatever the poor does, right? Okay, there is this idea. Does that justify the signing? <laughs> Hell no. So
0: also follow up questions. But you know what I'm saying, though. <laughs> yeah, Don't. yeah. And then we could we end this part of the conversation. <laughs> um, do you think that um, the signing of this was a mere political critique, given some other tendencies you bring up, such as in the the pornography letters, uh, or is there something kind of that we should be skeptical and like, eh, going on here. So
1: I think that there is something else going on in here, um, specifically for Foucault. The others I don't know. Mm. But specifically for him, there is an issue. And the issue is living in this age where um, we're living in the age of of the sexual liberation that's happening.
0: Right. It's just throwing off the shackles of repression. Exactly. exactly. Freud is, I feel like associated in this, at least in the zeitgeist.
1: Exactly. Right. There's this idea we're finally getting out of this prude moment, which is funny because in the first book of the history of sexuality, he says that we were never prude. This prudeness is, doesn't exist. Like the Victorian age, the Victorian age, is not really something the way we think about it. Huh. In fact, he says sexuality is not hidden. It's everywhere because of the fact that we kind of, hmm. we think about it all the time. It's like at the forefront of our stuff. And this is why we yeah. deny it. and We try to,
0: and surely it's symbolized, right? And like yes. the, the dresses emphasizing certain parts. Yes. And, yeah. Yes. And the he shoes.
1: Says, he says we were never Victorians. That's the first chapter of it. Uh, so it's funny, but then he's living through this age of sexual liberation. Mm-hmm. And I think that, like many of them,
0: gets caught into this stuff. And so think, guys, of like the American 1960s. <laughs> exactly,
1: exactly. I think he's caught into this and this movement. It's like the historical moment is too big not to be part of it, right?
0: It's like the thing you said in the last episode about, like, if I have a good activist exactly, goal, exactly. I drop my philosophy. Exactly.
1: It becomes that. It becomes that. And he's like, uh, to be clear, so uh, as an individual, he's an ass, he was an asshole. Like, <laughs> we, they all know it. Like, like, really, really not a good person. Like, not a good person. All the stuff that he did while being a professor... Uh, the way he selected uh, the people that were teaching for him, like a really, really bad individual.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, he thought justice was, you know, constructed.
1: <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. but I don't think that's even the I case. I know, I know, I'm half joking. Yeah, I know, I know. I don't, even, I don't think it's the case, but I'm saying, but if we move away from the personality, which we do for so many, right, mm-hmm. with, with Heidegger, with Nietzsche, with Aristotle, with whoever, right, Um, I think that a lot of myopic views have to do with the historical moment where they're living mm. it's like probably comparable in a sense to Heidegger myopic view of whatever was happening uh, to him
0: you get swept up
1: yeah it's like what do you do it's just, you, just, you, just, you just go with the zeitgeist, right? Mm. Uh, and it's very difficult not to even if you're a philosopher mm. uh, and sometimes it lands you in trouble and he goes too far yeah and not to say that he's not really thinking the things that he's saying. I think he genuinely is thinking the things when he's writing them. Unfortunately, he was wrong. Hmm. <laughs> Very simple.
0: All right. So that's that's a good ending point for that one. And uh, in the next one, we can examine some other common ideas in sure. this and maybe where they have landed or where they have been claimed to land and yep. maybe do some other genealogical stuff and... And then we do the genealogy of the genealogy, I guess. Oh, it never (laughs) ends. All right. See you later. See ya.